Hey, welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Haley, we've uh, we've been missing you the last week or so. You're off uh, on assignment doing work. But yep. in the meantime, uh, you still are doing interviews, of course. And uh, who's coming up that you've spoken to in the last little while that is kind of a fascinating listen. Yeah, it's good to be back. A lot of news this week, including we actually had the chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegarde, in town in Vancouver to address the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Almost exactly a year ago, we had him on BIV's radio show when he was at the Board of Trade giving a similar speech. So we had the chance to catch up with him, me and co-host Kirk LaPointe, to talk about economic reconciliation and what's transpired over the last year on that front when it comes to government, the business community, uh, general communities uh, across the country. So it's a good conversation. We're glad he can join us. And after the break, we'll feature the interview with Perry. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting assurance, business advisory tax and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600, or else check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca. Well, that was Alex Dagg from Airbnb. Lots to talk about. It's going to continue, of course, to be a story here in Vancouver as Airbnb moves into cities around the world and figures out how to work with them. So an interesting conversation. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We're the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Haley Wooden. Fostering economic development in Indigenous communities across Canada was the topic of discussion at Prime Minister Trudeau's first minister's meeting earlier this month. Now, National Chief Perry Bellegarde of the Assembly of First Nations is in Vancouver this week to discuss the topic of economic reconciliation with the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. He joins us today in studio. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, it's almost a year ago to the day that we had you on our show last time. You gave another mm-hmm. address to business leaders at the Board of Trade. Walk us through what progress has been achieved over the past year when it comes to economic reconciliation. Well, really good question. When you think about it, I always try to think about what's happening locally, what's happening regionally, what's happening nationally, and even internationally within the last year as it comes to economic reconciliation. And so... Let's start internationally. And um, I'm part of Christian Freeland, Minister Christian Freeland's team, advisory team, like to, to help and guide and, and assist rene- renegotiating NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement with, with the USA. Huge, huge file. And there's a lot of challenges there. But one of the first things that I brought up to her was, you know, things have changed since 1994. It's 2017. We now have the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples that all countries of the world have endorsed. Uh, In Canada, you've got recent Supreme Court decisions like the Chilcotin decision that recognize Aboriginal rights and title. Um, So I think you should start referencing an Indigenous chapter within NAFTA. That was one of my first recommendations two or three months ago, and Canada agreed. So Canada, so working on an Indigenous Peoples chapter within the North America Free Trade Agreement is a huge step on international file. Now, I was also down in the States, the National Congress of American Indians. They also passed a resolution supporting that chapter going forward. 
they're the ones to lobby President Trump now and their team to see if they'll support that in, involved in NAFTA. Mm-hmm. And then with NAFTA, so that's on the international file. And there's a lot of challenges within NAFTA. You know, like the states is putting in a five-year review, a sunset clause, kind of like a poison pill. Well, that's problematic for Canada. Uh, they're talking about uh, Chapter 19, the dispute resolution mechanism that they want out. And now they put in 50% auto parts from the states as uh, something in there. And then they want to access the supply management chain for poultry, eggs, and like it's there's so many things the states is putting on. And so the Canada saying, no, with a smile. And then so now for us as Indigenous peoples, we're saying this is important as well. The Indigenous peoples. So that's on the international piece. Do you worry that that clause, that that new provision that Canada wants is something that then gets pulled back from the table when you get down to the really short strokes that's a possibility, but that's why we say, look, you want economic certainty on a national level, international level, even regional level, then look at the re- uh, the reference to the UN Declaration because it's really a roadmap to reconciliation on so many fronts. Okay. So, but again, it's negotiations that this is the first time as Indigenous peoples are trying to get our foot in the door in some of these international trade agreements. So that's a start on the international piece. Um, even referencing on the international level, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's speech at the United Nations, mm-hmm. you know, a few weeks back. 30-minute speech, 20 minutes was spent on Indigenous issues, mm-hmm. right? Explaining to the rest of the world what happened to First Nations people via the residential schools and the colonization, the Indian Act, all those things. So that was important. That's on the international front. Then going to the national scene, let's talk about the nas- what's going on nationally now. Well, there's a whole review now over the regulatory review process through the National Energy Board, right? So that's ongoing. Uh, you've had a couple of federal budgets, you know, and, and they're getting ready for the next federal budget. And that's a key thing because census is out today. The fastest growing segment of Canada's population are young First Nations men and women. In Canada, you got a skilled, uh, a lack of, there's a shortage of skilled labor. And then you have an aging workforce. So this is just further evidence that you should invest in human capital, mm-hmm. in education, in skills training. That's very vital. So that's that has to happen. And I've given the evidence in, in the last federal budget $90 million for post-secondary training for First Nations people because there was a cap on that. You know, we had 10,000 students on the wait list. That's not a great way to get out of poverty when you have people wanting to go to school and get trained and educated, but you can't. So so that's things going on nationally. What would you like to see in this upcoming budget? Anything new? Further investments. That's going to be the whole, like, you break it down because the data also showed that uh, housing is a big issue for First Nations people. And so looking at a national housing strategy and program is key because in, in overcrowded housing is not acceptable. Access to potable water, 130, 30 boil water advisory communities, you know, advisories we still have in our, our reserve. So there are some things, but if you look at the data that you have through the census, that should help guide policies and program development and initiatives um, to help grow Canada's economy nationally and internationally, which I'm going to go back to invest in human capital. So I want to see more investments for education, skills training in this federal budget. Um, Some of the other things, um, let's look at regionally. Here you've got a change in government, right? Since last time I I spoke to you, Mm -hmm. you have Premier Horgan now. What's he saying? He's saying, look, we want to implement the UN Declaration. He's also said the 94 calls to action for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And let's start investing dialogue, uh, you know, and creating dialogues about resource revenue sharing with the 203 First Nations here. All my message is meet regularly with the chiefs more than just once a year 
And you're going to create that space for policy growth together if you can have that good dialogue because you got you also have issues you got to deal with here, like Sightsee, like LNG, like Kinder Morgan, like uh, the fish farms versus, you know, the, the Atlantic salmon and the Pacific. Like there's huge issues you have that have to be worked through. And the only way you're going to do that is you create the space for dialogue um, locally. Yeah, Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh First Nations, you know, Salish, they're right here. They have a huge opportunity with the Jericho lands, right? And uh, they've got, uh, I think, 26 to 30 hectares of, of land for development. There's a housing shortage in Vancouver. You've got an opportunity for partnership and growth for economic development by working with those three First Nations. You know, so locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, there's some things that are changing. But you, uh, Chief, you must also, though, be reading and hearing the disquiet that exists in some quarters about the what what some will say is a very slow pace that even though you've got a prime minister who's who says he's committed mm-hmm. even though in this case here you've got a premier that's committed that there's a very slow pace do you sense a great impatience still yes no question because people want things to change overnight and I've said it this way, like you, you have a prime minister in cabinet saying good things, nation to nation, reconciliation, implementation of the UN declaration, uh, a new relationship with indigenous peoples that's based on recognition of rights, you yeah. know, and respect, good things. But unfortunately, you have a bureaucracy that doesn't keep up with that vision, right? You've, you've got deputy ministers and different departments and, and, and director generals and assistant deputy ministers that aren't keeping up with that vision. So you have good things being said from the political leaders, but you also have to work with Privy Council Office and all the bureaucracy that's there to keep up and make some changes and think outside the box to find more effective and efficient ways of delivering new programs. So I always say this gap has to close in Canada. The one that I talk about is Canada's rated sixth United Nations Human Development Index, quality of life. Apply the same indices to First Nations people. We're 63rd. So it's sixth versus 63rd. Mm. This is the gap that I'm trying to address and so, yes, there's a frustration that this gap is not closing in one year or two years. This gap is not going to be closed overnight, you know, because this has been born from generations and generations of being put to the side and no investments in education, no investments in water and infrastructure, no investments in housing. There's no recognition of rights and titles. So that's why this gap exists. And so we got to close that. And so we've got to start making more investments, strategic investments, longer term. 5, 10, 15-year strategies in, in order your, to close this gap. In your travels, and you've traveled this country widely. I mean, you, yes. you know, you've got you've got the millionaire miles to kind of point to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you believe that Canadians yet apprehend what we're really talking about here when we discuss reconciliation, when we talk about true partnerships, when we talk about nation-to-nation relationships and development of a country together? Do you, do you sense that Canadians typically understand what that means majority get it but it varies from province to province to province and you can almost break it down by Mm -hmm. province territory like as you go across and it varies there's a mixed range of reactions and, and and feelings and thoughts when we talk about reconciliation well what does that mean uh what does that mean oh first nations have title to land and resources what does aboriginal right and title mean you know, and so like people get a little uncomfortable when they start looking at new things, but that's the history. So it varies from province to province to province. And I think most Canadians are starting to get it. Um, and, uh, and, and because 
before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out with their 94 calls to action, there wasn't a lot of education awareness about First Nations issues. Of course. Before Gord Downey came out with his call to action when he called out the Prime Minister at one of his concerts, there wasn't a heck of a lot of embracement and getting. But when Gord Downey says it, let's pay attention. You know, and so there's more education awareness now amongst Canadians. It's starting to happen. And some provinces, uh, people are really getting it. Some are a little slower. So let's let's keep it up. Keep the momentum up. Because the only way we're going to grow this economy, the only way we're going to fix this six versus 63rd gap is by Canadians really getting it. Yeah, we should support investments in water, having access to potable water for First Nations. It's not acceptable in 2017. We should support ways and programs and policies to end violence against the, the 1,200 missing murdered Indigenous women and girls and the disproportionate number of First Nations people in jails. We should support new strategies for justice programs and adequate housing and especially education and training. Those are the things that we've got to all support as Canadians right across Canada. And I think people are getting that okay. and they want to see that gap close. Um, and so it's starting. It's starting. We're speaking to National Chief Perry Bellegarde of the Assembly of First Nations. In closing that gap, what would you say is the role of private business or industry? Great question. I think the role for private business and industry is they should have within their business, within their company, a First Nations engagement strategy in three areas. One, in procurement. Two, a representative workforce strategy. Even uh, relationship building or partnership building. Even talk about... uh, uh, revenue sharing or something, concept like that. They should all have a strategy for that. They should have First Nations people on their boards of directors. They should have First Nations people in their senior management teams. You're going to get better decisions, especially when you try to work your head around duty to consult and accommodate, you know, that legal requirement now. Get your head around free prior and informed consent, which is in the, the UN declaration. What does that mean? And how do even a process, do you go about for building a relationship with First Nations people? How do you do that? People don't know. So I would encourage all the CEOs, all the, the, the chairmen of the board that are listening, start getting a First Nations engagement strategy within your company. Include that as part of your business planning model. And you're going to start creating uh, better relationships and better results. Because I've asked the premiers this too, policy change. I've asked the premiers to consider a policy change that before they issue license or permit to any industry, any CEO operating in any provincial boundary or territory, that that company should demonstrate that they've got a strategy in place. And if they don't, don't rank that that company higher up on the on the on the business licensing permit model, right? Because they're they're going to be lower down because they don't have a strategy. But the ones that do issue them a license or permit to operate, because that will facilitate partnerships between private sector and First Nations people. And that's another whole strategy to go forward. And and yet you, what you talk about there, I think uh, business would say, well, that that will force us to comply. But what I wonder about is what is it going to take, do you think, in our country that you have not just a culture of compliance, but a culture of commitment to this? Education awareness. You know, that starts, uh, the other thing they could support is um, Again, one of the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is changing all the curriculums in every school, in every province, in every territory to teach about the residential schools, teach about the impacts of the Indian Act, teach about inherent rights and treaty rights and Aboriginal rights so that people from kindergarten to grade 12 have a good grounding in that. So that education awareness process, that leads to understanding, that will lead to action. So support that in the, in the, in the schools. Um, embrace a recruitment and a retention strategy within their company. And I, I always call, call it misconception training. 
some people call it Indian studies or native studies or Aboriginal studies, but you know, it's almost like yeah. learn more about your friends and relatives and neighbors, learn more about the indigenous peoples in your territory and background. And, uh, we, we learn more in schools about Europe than we do. Exactly. About, so that's that yeah. whole point about the curriculum changes. So support yeah. those curriculum changes sure. and it's provincial governments that do that. You know, 50% of our people live off reserve and are off right. traditional territories. So it's like we have to have a two pronged strategy on the reserve and off reserve as well. You got lots of First Nations people in Vancouver, lots of First Nations people in Edmonton and Calgary and Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, Toronto, you know, and their kids go to the Catholic school system, they go to the public school system, you know, and you have to influence what they're being taught, but not only First Nations kids. All kids need to be taught about the proper history of Canada. And again, that, that talks about we're in the next... Remember when July 1st came and everybody talked about this whole Canada's 150 and, and yeah, we're not going to celebrate. There's just too much negative things regarding colonization, oppression, but we'll participate because we say we're still here. And the more important thing to focus on is the next 150 years. Right. And it's your children, my children, your grandchildren, my grandchildren, they're going to write that story. And I think by working together collectively, we're all in it together and we're going to create a better country for all of our children and grandchildren and those generations yet unborn. That's National Chief Perry Bellegarde of the Assembly of First Nations. Chief, thank you very much again for joining us on the show today. Thanks for the opportunity. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Haley Wooden. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. And that was Chief Perry Bellegarde from the Assembly of First Nations. As I said earlier, almost a year ago, exactly since we had him on the radio show, and then a lot to talk about in terms of what's happened over the last year regarding economic reconciliation here in Canada. And that's it for our show today. I want to thank you all for listening to the Business in Vancouver podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Otherwise, Haley, how would people find you online if they want to track down your stories? They can find both of our stories as well as the stories of our colleagues at BIV.com. And if they want to connect, I'm at Haley Wooden on social media. You can find me at Reportin'. Until next time, this is the Business in Vancouver podcast.